Hi, I'm Andrew. And I'm Tim. And this is Get On Board, a podcast about games worth playing. Join us every week for great analysis on board games, pick fives, reviews, and all sorts of other entertaining board game talk. Welcome to another edition of Get On Board. This is an exciting week for us for a lot of reasons. We have a lot of great things to talk about. And we are also just a few days away from the Geekway to the West. Oh, yeah. Gaming convention. I am so, so pumped for this. A lot of energy in the Get On Board studio. This also might be the most packed episode we've ever tried to record. So we are going to cram a lot of content into today's hour. Very good. And if you listen to it at one and a half speed, you'll save it'll, some percentage of time. Wow. Anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, let's begin with some of the great plays we've had this last week. And we've had some really great games some, together. We have had so, some great plays. Yeah, yeah. So, 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 start it off. What do you have on recent plays? Okay, well, I want to talk about, I'll talk about one that we didn't do together to start with. So, I got another play in of Kuhandel Master, which is a quirky little auction trading bidding game published by Ravensburger, I believe, that really never saw much of a market and has kind of just withered on the vine. I don't even know if it got published in English, but this game is so fun. It's a shame this Um, game isn't more popular. Man, and I got the chance to try it five player, which was super interesting because the whole dynamic was different. You know, you're trying to collect sets of different animals with pedigrees and you know in a smaller player count you will end up with you know six or seven sets on the high end four sets on the low end probably because there's a lot out there and when there's fewer players you know it gets spread around more well with five players you're lucky to get two or three sets and I finished with one set and a couple pedigree cards and I did not finish last which knocked my socks off so the winning score in this game was 290 which in literally any other game I've played of this would have been last place. But you've never played a game of this player count before. I had never played at this player count. That's right. what was so interesting. Yeah. Still really enjoyed it. Man, it's such a fun experience. And I mean, when you are explaining the rules and you tell someone, okay, now we have an auction, they're thinking, yeah, we've done this before. And then you say, okay, at the end, whatever the winning price is, the auctioneer then gets to decide whether the winner pays him or the auctioneer pays the winner. And everyone just kind of leans back and they're like, you got to be joking. I mean, come on. <laughs> okay, I'm still stuck on that scaling thing, though. So my question is, do you feel like this game scales well? You just have to kind of adjust to the fact that there are fewer points, or do you feel like they should have um, kind of made some modifications, had some additional sets that they put in for larger groups? Additional sets would have been nice. Mm-hmm. Even additional sets of the same point value. So right. maybe if you had eight cards per set, and then maybe two people could end up with the 35 set, for example. Right. You know, that could work. I enjoyed it at five. I don't think it's best at five, but I think it works. I think I would definitely play four. I would mm-hmm. definitely play three. And I would try five again. I think I could adjust my strategy and do yeah. better. I know for one thing, the pedigree cards that are worth 25 points on their own, oh, those become huge. I mean, you want to be stockpiling zero cards so that you can win the bids on those straight up because yeah. those are 25 points just straight up, which 300 points, that's a significant chunk. So... I think there's some adjustment that you can make and and really have fun with five. Cool. Well, the first game on my recent plays is one I have never played before. Okay. Which is odd when you consider my age and how long that I have been gaming. I have never played Axis and Allies. 
Oh, yeah, I forgot that you tried this. And this was really interesting because, for me, this is really cool. Because I'm getting to play, like, a classic game after having now tried hundreds of modern board games. Yeah. And, and well, we're past the modern era. Postmodern <laughs> board games. No, wait, that doesn't work either. Anyway, <laughs> after having tried all of these board games, you know, through, through in this golden age now, right. I was kind of expecting to play Axis and Allies and kind of be thrown back in this era where I felt like I was playing Risk or Clue or Monopoly and going, eh, eh, well, you know, that was cute that they thought this was fun back then, and it's cute that some people still like it now. People like me. And <laughs> I really loved... Now, I'll be clear, I, I was playing the Axis and Allies Anniversary Edition, which I didn't realize, and for some, some of our listeners may not realize this either if you've never played Axis and Allies. A lot of times, Anniversary Editions are just kind of like deluxified versions of a game. Right. This actually has substantively different rules. Yeah. Well, they're they're the same game, but you're right. The anniversary edition is considered kind of the definitive edition, right? Which ironically, I haven't played. Um, but the rule changes are there. They're definitely they definitely exist. But you you also got the exact spirit of the game. I mean, now, nothing that changes is ginormous. I can't obviously. This is not a review of the game, but I will say, after one play of the game, that I was blown away. I was blown away, one, at the game's relevance. Yes. Yeah. It, it is completely relevant. Oh, absolutely. In fact, I, I see where it has been imitated now many mm-hmm. times. I see a lot of its mechanics have been pulled mm-hmm. into other games. Okay, that's cool. I'm also scratching my head wondering why there have why I've played so many combat systems of, from games that came later. That aren't as good. That are inferior to it. <laughs> so... I, I just kind of wonder at that, too. The, the one thing that I would say, though, that is a bit different than I expected it to be, and, and this is okay, but I think you just have to change your mindset. If you've never played Axis and Allies before, I highly recommend you give it a try. But what you need to know is, to me, it felt like a World War II simulation. Mm-hmm. So it's not a game like Nexus Ops where you just sort of throw down and um, everybody's going at each other, and and you, there are all sorts of different strategies you can try based on what you were dealt up front and that right. kind of thing. Um, it is, and risk is the same way, right? I mean, risk the board begins kind of either with a random setup or you know the sort of choosing areas right. sort of thing. No, in Axis and Allies, you begin with a, with a set number of troops, a set number of artillery and tanks, and they're in specific areas that are yes. very historic. Yes. And they drive you to behave in the same way. Exactly. Yes, to succeed, you have to kind of know your World War II a little bit. I mean, mm-hmm. Allies, you're going to have a heck of a hard time without D-Day happening at some point. Now, I, I'm not dogging on any of the players that were with me. You guys, it was a valiant effort. The Allies did lose, but I do think one of the reasons we lost was we didn't do what was thematic, or, or a couple of our players weren't able to succeed, I should say, at yeah. doing what is thematic. Yeah. England never got off being, uh, got away from being a um, bombing raid and a sea battle. They couldn't get onto land. land. Right. And when uh, Japan had established, and Germany had established uh, ocean superiority, the game was over. England was just yeah. absolutely stuck. Yeah, and um, so they couldn't provide any counter to Germany, which meant that Germany was able to pull. I mean, isn't that truly thematic? If if there right. were no and the U.S. the same problem, the U.S. never got a foothold in 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 Europe, mm-hmm. and because they never got a foothold in Europe, uh, there was no no counter 
to the German attack, no, no assistance, I should say, on the Russian side. Yeah. So Russia had to deal with it um, completely. I did play Russia. But, <laughs> but that said, it's, it's not a fault of the game. That's right. the way the game is intended to be played. There are a lot of games like this, Memoir 34 sure. or Tide of Iron or others that set up the scenarios historically. Sure. And one side may have an advantage over the other based, uh, based upon. Right. So I think that's worth noting. But I was incredibly pleased with my play of Axis and Allies. Yeah, this is one of my longtime favorites, and I'm, I'm glad that you are finally getting to try it because I think it's just phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Well, I recently dragged one out of the dust. It's been a year since I played this, and I'm happy I suggested it. We actually played it three-player with your wife. This was mm-hmm. Russian Railroads, which is, to continue our Russia theme, another one of our great favorites here at Get On Board. <laughs> okay, so. so how'd this play hit you? It had been a while since you played it, too. Oh, it just solidified what I already knew. I love Russian Railroads. It is such a great game. Now, it's easy for me to say because I did win did this win. win. Yes. But um, it's not a forgiving game. No. And and if some of your early plans don't succeed and you don't zag when other people zig, it can be very brutal. And it was kind of to you guys i ended up yeah my big zag when you zigged was i waited till neither of you were going for the factory track and just pumped that way up yeah and that that really launched me way ahead i i just i just think this game holds up it's it's a great engine builder i think i told you while we were playing it it is the most tense indirect conflict game yeah that i i think i've played yeah and that does make for a very unforgiving game environment yes because the, I think I would say even more than Agricola, the tension for those spots that you're competing for is just so high. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and this was interesting. You know, this is a I think this is a top ten game for both of us. I think it just narrowly missed your list. I, yeah, it didn't but hit my list. It's a favorite on both yeah. sides, and this is the first game we had played together. So that was kind of interesting. And he wiped the floor with me, as you might expect. Uh, this is definitely a, a Euro game, a Tim specialty. I hold my own, but... I've had a lot of plays of this game, this too. Really when we lived in yeah. Russia, I had a friend who lived across the hall, and he and his wife loved playing this. Um, I almost got burnt out on it. We played it so much. Well, even my board shows the wear. Yeah, yeah it but, does. <laughs> um, yeah, no, this is a great engine builder. I, I've been a little bit hesitant to pull out German railroads or it's American good. railroads. It's good. Just to the expansions, just to um, just because I love the core game so much, but I, I think I think I'll be ready to do that soon. Yeah, so I'll be there. Well, hey, let's talk about some news because we've got some crazy news going on this week. The first thing, unless you're listening to this from the future, you'll hear this too late. But we are going to be at Geekway this weekend, which will happen the day before this episode airs next Monday. So, what that means is, by the time you hear this, we'll already be back, but if you see us at Geekway, say hello. And as all of you know, I mean, so let me tell you exactly what Geekway is like. I don't know. (laughs) I've never been. Yeah. So, um, this is going to be a really interesting one for me. I've only been to two game uh, conferences before, uh, Gen Con uh, in 2016, which I absolutely loved, and... Essen in 2000, fall of 2017, which right. was uh, really great, too. You've Sorry, hit some heavy hitters. 2016. You've hit some heavy hitters. <laughs> so, yeah, well, and, and they, were, they were great. And I, what I loved about both of those was I really enjoyed the vendor halls where you kind of got to try out different games that mm-hmm. they brought. And um, sometimes it was just, hey, we'll walk you through a round or two of this new game. And right. 
that was cool. I love going to the areas where people with um, kind of like there was a Kickstarter section in Gen Con yeah. where all these, you know, people, small, small game designers with big ideas were there almost begging you to play their games and, and test out their idea, right. which is really cool. Um, but I've heard that Geekway is kind of different. I've heard yeah. that it's more of a a conference where you get together to, to actually play the games. Yeah. There is a flea market and there is a vendor hall, but it's it's not as pronounced as it is right. at, at other cons. And so I, I'm actually kind of looking forward to this. Mm-hmm. I it's not what I've normally done. My, I can I can go all short attention span at these conferences and just flit from one thing to another. But I'm really looking forward to kind of I don't know, just maybe focusing and buckling down and, and yeah. know, playing like five, six, seven, eight games over that weekend yeah. and saying, "Hey, that was a great time." Well, this is my very first convention. I'm newer to the hobby than Tim is, and I'm pumped. I've got a bucket list. You know, I'm going to meet Jamie Stegmeyer because, of course, this is in St. Louis. I'm going to meet mm-hmm. Alex from the Dukes of Dice. Of course, these are all aspirational goals. I want to test out Imperius because Colossal Games will actually be there with a booth, and I backed that, so I would be pumped to try out a demo before my copy ships to me. So I've got a list of things I want to do, but I am also looking forward to playing some good games and picking up the dozen or so that I bought from the virtual flea market on Board Game Geek. And it, it doesn't hurt either that we have a friend who lives there, so we're going to meet up with him, yep. and we're caravanning a bunch of our friends down, oh, and it's, it's just going to be such such a cool yeah. uh, hangout. You know, at first I thought, well, how is this really any different from from sort of, uh, you know, just getting a bunch of guys together at my place for, for a few days right. or something? But I, I do think the energy is going to be really different. Oh, yeah. The huge library of games to choose from, sort of walking around and seeing what other people are playing. Yeah, I'll still hang at the vendor hall. I, I'm really interested in, in, in checking that out. But, <laughs> but yeah, so we'll get back with you. Back to you with a report. Yeah, we will. Next week. All right. Another thing that dropped was the Spiel des Jahres nominees. Now, you've been paying more attention to this I have than I have. But we just played. We just talked about one. We just played one. one of the nominees. Yes, so we, we are did. already on the curve. So, and so Spiel des Jahres is a German family game award that, you know, these games that win this award go everywhere in Germany. They can be found on supermarket shelves. They can be found everywhere, and they usually see a sizable sales bump. So this is a pretty prestigious award, and the award kind of has the goal of rewarding family games that are accessible, that are polished, that are easy to get into, things that will push the hobby further to people who aren't necessarily gamers. In other words... These are really my sorts of games. Mm. I thrive on these games because of the type of game night that I run. Often have a lot of people who've never gamed before. So I follow these very closely. And I was really hoping that The Mind would be nominated, and it was. This is the new one by Wolfgang Warsh, which is kind of just taking over the the hype train right now. Everyone's talking about The Mind. And I need to play it more. I still haven't beaten it. But I'm really pumped. I'm really uh, enjoying it so far. Yeah. We've also got Azul by Michael Kiesling, which I really need to try, especially now that it's been nominated. It really seems like your kind of game. Man, it's, it it's looks less it looks good. I haven't been as, as drawn to it. but And you know, it's from Plan B Games. They, of course, came out with the excellent Century Spice Road. Mm-hmm. So I'm pumped to try it. I think I am uh, really going to enjoy it. And then the third one, this is going to surprise you. This is Luxor. By Rudiger Dorn, published by Queen Games. Wait, how long is... I thought this game was out. No, this game is only out on the German market right now. Lux. I'm thinking of a different game. Yeah, yeah. Ah, gotcha. Yeah, Luxor is this kind of uh, Egyptian temple exploration treasure hunt type of game. This might be the game... There's no information about this game out there. 
You can buy it on Amazon DE, sight unseen, I guess, because of the recommendation. I know nothing about this game, but I'm pumped to try it. And huh. if nothing else, I know I can get it for four bucks at Christmas time. So, <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's Queen Games. Yeah, that's so interesting, too. There's really an affordability element to all these nominees. There is. There, yeah, there is. I mean, the so, mind is just a stack of inexpensive cards. I mean, yeah. you've got your copy. I got my copy for like 15 bucks from Germany. Right, shipped. shipped. That was I mean, amazing. it was pretty great. Yeah. yeah. So these are the nominees. Personally, since I've only tried the mind, I can't speak to which one will win. My money would be on Azul just because it's gotten yeah. a lot of hype. It's been out for longer. It's established more of a presence. It's shown it has more staying power. But I also think the mind does something really unique. The mind captures something that a lot of games don't do. There are a lot of games that when you finish playing it, you think, I'd like to, I'd like, you know, I'll have another round of it. Yeah. This, I was feeling that after five rounds. I mean, yeah. I think we stopped after five plays. Yeah. And it, I mean, it was because of time, but I right. wanted to keep going. Yeah. It's just it one of those. It feels like it's a nut you can crack. Right. It just feels like you're so close to being able to just do a few steps better. Right. Every time. And that, that addictive element, yeah. I think, may really yeah. serve that game well. It wouldn't surprise me to see that one hit it. It wouldn't surprise but, me either. But my, my money would be on Azul at this yeah, point. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, those are the Spiel des Jahres nominees. There are also the Kenner Spiel des Jahres, which is a more heavyweight game award. I don't pay as much attention to those. Those aren't always my thing. And of mm-hmm. course, the Kinder Spiel des Jahres, which is for children's games. And I don't have as much of a pulse on that market because I don't have kids. But I'm pumped for these nominees. I'm pumped to get my hands on them. I'm definitely going to have to pick up Azul, probably yeah. Luxor as well. And we'll give them a try. We'll let you know what we think. Very cool. Well, in other board gaming news, we have learned that the Borg are up for sale. Or should we say is? Is it, do you use a singular or a plural? Anyway. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Not the Borg. What I meant to say was Asmodee. Asmodee. Yes, their spokesperson, Locutus, today announced that... Sorry, a little bit of Star Trek humor there. And yeah. a little bit of sarcasm. For those not in the know, Asmodee is a game company that has just been in acquisition mode mm-hmm. for several years mm-hmm. now. And they have, they've acquired uh, Fantasy Flight and Z-Man, Z-Man Games. And I'll never get the name pro- uh, correct, but Lala Lot to Polite. There yeah. you go. And uh, just a, a ton of other... Um, I think they own about 30 imprints right now. Right. And right. they have... The other thing that they have is they have a lot of the distribution, especially, well, especially with their titles, but then they have distribution agreements with other publishers like Queen Games. Right. So they control a lot of the knobs and levers in this industry. Not a monopoly, but mm-hmm. they've definitely picked up a lot of smaller companies. And now the venture capital firm that backs them has announced that they're shopping the company for a sale. So the way I would frame this is this introduces uncertainty. For consumers, for game shop owners, for competitors in the market, Asmodee has such an outsized influence on the hobby game market specifically, not so much mass market. You know, they're still dwarfed by uh, Mattel and Hasbro and and those guys, but they have a big influence on the hobby industry. And I think it'll be interesting to see if they can get a seller or if they can get a buyer I think it'll be interesting to see who that buyer is, what their plans are. I hope they don't do some sort of leverage buyout where they saddle them with a ton of debt. I'm going to be interested to see if, you know, intellectual capital starts leaving the company as people go to more exciting places to work. Right. My 
gut feeling from all of this is just market uncertainty. I don't think anyone really knows how it's going to shake out. At this point, they don't even have a buyer lined up. Hmm. So really just... But they have a price in mind. They have a price in mind. (laughs) So let's get that Kickstarter going for $1.7 billion. I'm sure we can do it. You know, that's right. At the two billion dollar stretch goal, they're oh, gonna throw let's, in cr- let's all crowd the on this, flight. guys. Oh, we could totally do it. Everyone yeah. just needs to throw in about ten thousand dollars, right? And we can, we can, we can own Asthma Day together. There we go, like the Green Bay Packers, but for board games. And together, we can manage it because we're passionate about games, and that's all it takes to run a business. Oh, that could never go wrong. So, <laughs> yeah. Asthma my, Day is my, up on the block. My concern about the <laughs> hobby is, you know, if you if you go to Asthma Day and you you click on our games, you know, right. you'll see a list of all the the top selling games. Um, yeah, you know, a lot of the top selling games in the hobby, but certainly they're right. They're top cash cow games. Right, and it's just no it's no secret that, uh, especially now, that clearly this was about money, and I get that it's a business right. for goodness sakes. It, it it needs to be about money. But I guess what always concerned me about the companies that Asmodee was acquiring was that some of those weren't just about the money. Yeah. It was about producing some really great games to a niche market. Right. And I just sort of wonder if, if, you, if you bought the company, in essence, that you could flip it, we're, all, we're already seeing less and less interest in supporting those niche games. Right. And I think this is just going to make it even worse. Um, and I sort of wonder what the plan is at this point. I, and I kind of wonder, after they flip it, too, are we just going to see them, in essence, just divest all the intellectual property that they think isn't really selling? It's and possible. It sort of just ends up going back out to other publishers, and we just see the same games produced by non-Asmodee people. And it's possible. I think you'll also see, and you already have seen, for example, Zev Slashinger, the guy behind the, the Z and Z-Man yeah. games, is no longer with Asmodee. Pretzel Games was acquired, and a significant portion of their staff went on to found Plan B Games. Huh. And they're obviously turning out new stuff. So I think the talent for most, I, I don't think we have to worry about the talent continuing to be in the industry, but you're right. It's that back catalog, that huge market of niche games that are that, that they own that might not be published anymore. And I don't know how I feel about the sale because on the one hand, it's kind of cool to think, wow, the top company in my hobby is up for sale for $1.7 billion. Right. I mean, who would have thought that 20 years ago? Yeah. If you're looking at sort of yeah. niche hobby board gamers, right? You, you would never expect that that to be uh, so high. And yet, um, it does sort of make me wonder what's that signaling about the yeah. market right now yeah. um, and that it's up for sale right now. It, it may be signaling nothing about the market. This may just be, you know, a, a maybe... And just the optimum time. They're, right. re- they're ready to sell it. It's, right. it's worth roughly 10 times more than they've invested in it, yeah. in my understanding. So, yeah. I'm going to take a wait-and-see approach. But all we know is that Asmodee acquired so many companies, they are now being acquired themselves. So, <laughs> Well, hey, you ready to do our pick five? Let's do our pick five. We have an interesting pick five today. It's not meant to be negative, actually, and it could come across this way. Because the pick five is five games that we don't really want to play anymore. Yeah. But here's a caveat. It's five great games that we don't really want to play anymore. And so, I mean, it's just a fact. You may love caviar more than anything, but 
right. have it every day, two times a day, and you're and sick of it. You could get very sick sure. of it. So it is just kind of interesting to see what we've what we've uh, um, and we haven't cross checked these lists. Nope. So I'm really curious to see how they yeah. uh, how they end up um, um, playing out. There's gonna be some interesting ones on here. Yeah, I think so. so. And I, I tried to avoid some obvious ones. As did I. So I would almost do them now as honorable mentions, but I'll, I'll just kind of bring it up in case because I suspect a couple of these will be on your list. So okay. But, well, I've got two honorable mentions as well. Maybe we can mention them at the end. Okay. So. Okay, well, hey, I did my list. I don't. I like sorting things, so I sorted my list by the likelihood of me playing them again. So I'm starting out mm-hmm. with the least likely I'll play it again, and then going forward to the most likely I'll play it again. Yeah. And for the most part, this looks like a descending scale of how many times I've played it. Gotcha. So the more I've played a game, the less likely I am to want to play it again, with a couple exceptions, but that's kind of how I sorted my list. So Very good. I think I can sort that really. I didn't sort it in that way, but I think I'm going to do it. Okay. Because I, I know the one that I'm least <laughs> likely to ever play again. Okay, go for it. And that is Dominion. Okay. I almost didn't put this on there because it is one that a lot of people, you know, talk right. about how they're burnt out on. But right. I, I do want to say this. I actually try to convince myself after I got sick of it that it wasn't a very good game to begin with. Mm-hmm. And it does do something that I don't like in deck builders it, it chokes your hand with a thing One that cards. causes you to win yeah and that's kind of annoying right but i get it and i get how it did it, why it did it and in later sets it came up with a lot of interesting cards that would do interesting things with yeah. those victory point cards in your hand so they certainly mitigated uh, against it i think it's i think it's a really great deck builder yeah and there's part of me that doesn't want to say this again because i'm so burnt out on it but i, I would recommend Mm-hmm. That if you're just getting into the hobby and you've heard about Dominion, I think it's worth, I think it's worth playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it just it has a really fast pace to it, a really cool flow to it. Uh, I never really could say that it was a greatly a thematic game. I, I never really <laughs> felt the theme in it. But it, it's if, if you're gonna like deck builders, you will like Dominion. Sure, and it's a really good launching point, starting and starting point. Nothing wrong with the game. Great game. I have just, if you saw my, the box, literally, my core Dominion box is so worn out. I threw it yeah. away recently. And, <laughs> and uh, um, how many it, times do you guess you've played it? Dozens. dozens. I mean, it's, yeah, dozens. It's, it's stuck around. When we were, right, when we were running you know, English game nights, it was a favorite. I'm sure. Uh, with a lot sure. of our students. And we, yeah. And my son and I played the heck out of it, too. The cards are really worn. <laughs> so, yeah, it's a mark of a good game. So, uh, though um, I cringe when I see it on my shelf, the truth is Dominion is a great game, but I am just tired of it. All right. Well, hey, my game that I am least likely to play again may break your heart, but I still rate this game a 9 out of 10. Mm -hmm. Definitely a favorite. Mm -hmm. This is Smash Up. I had a bad feeling. I've been stealing myself for this. Smash Up is my third most played game of all time. I've played it 45 times. I've played a lot of games of Smash Up. In fact, Smash Up is the game that got me into gaming. You got me yeah. into gaming with Smash Up because yeah. came over for Christmas break, just proposed to your daughter, and you, me, and Evan played game after game of Smash Up. And I didn't even log those, so I've really played this game probably 50, 60 times. Mm-hmm. So I've played this game. I've gotten my money's worth out of this game. This is the one that made me want to start game nights. I wanted some people to play Smash Up with. 
I remember that, yeah. Yeah, and you know, I've lost interest in this game before, and I've returned to it once or twice before, and it continues to accumulate plays. But this time I think it may be goodbye. Mm. I just don't get it played enough, and I think the game really requires a lot of play to keep the combos and the metagame fresh in your head. It's long with four, and I'm just it's just not a great fit for where my game group is at. I'm kind of tired of it. I feel like I've had a good history with this game, and I'm ready to say goodbye. Wow. Well, I still will find plenty of people to play with. <laughs> so I just introduced a couple more college students to it. Uh, well, there you go. Two weeks ago. Some fresh so. blood. Yep. Yep. I had a feeling it would be. And that's a lot of plays. That is a lot of plays. Of, for yeah. this game. So, yeah. So the next one on my list is one that, I, I I bet you wouldn't even suspect because I don't think I've actually ever played it with you. Citadels. Okay. Oh yeah, I've never played it. Citadels was a game that to me was you can see it right there on my shelf. Yep, actually, he's looking looking behind <laughs> him on, to my game shelf. There it is. Uh, yeah, look how worn that box is. I mean, worn. we we played the heck out of that game again with uh, our family, our college students, my two sons, and um, the key kind of thing that drew me to the game, and I still think Bruno Faduti was just brilliant in the way that he designed this game. I don't know if other games had done this before, but it has to be one of the earlier games where it, where you didn't play according to turn order. You played according to the role that was selected, yeah. and the roles went in a particular order, yeah. and they did a particular thing, and the order was super important because the assassin went... Oh, I see, it's been so long now. The assassin goes first, I think, and he's able to knock out... Um, he's able to knock out one of the other characters. Ah. So you've chosen the characters kind of secretly and then burned a couple. Right. So if somebody's really set up to do a great production round, well, they want to choose the merchant, except they know that the assassin Someone's knows. Assassin them. That right. They want to choose the merchant. Right. So they may not choose the merchant, except that they may know that the assassin knows that they certainly wouldn't choose the <laughs> merchant. So maybe they'll try it anyway. So it's, it's really, it's because there's a really cool bluffing element in it. It's got this cool like uh, construction element to it. It's it's a little bit mean, and the assassin kind of uh, burns some people out. But I yeah. still think it's a great game. It's just that I played it so much sure. that I'm I am finally tired of this game. And uh, probably it's that would be that's just right under Dominion for a, a game that I I just won't play. Again. I won't play again. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hey, my next one. I don't know if you'll even shed tears over. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've played this game 51 times, 9 out of 10, so it's my second most played game. Mm-hmm. And for those of you wondering, my most played game is Codenames Duet, and no, I'm not burnt out on that. I played wow. it with my wife, played about 57 times, not sick of it. It's a genius game with two, with two, let me issue that caveat. But that's not the game I'm talking about. I am mm-hmm. talking about Escape Curse of the Temple. Whoa. And I don't think you would have expected to no. see this on my list. But here's the thing. We've played this one so much. I've played it at every single player count from one to six. My wife and I have beaten challenges more difficult than those found in the rulebook. We've had to ramp up the difficulty past what they even give us. Mm -hmm. And it just feels like we've defeated this game. Okay? We've played this game to an ounce of its life. I would still recommend it. Yeah. Ten times out of ten. It's one of my favorite co-ops. It's my favorite real-time game. It's one of my favorite games to play two-player. But we are done playing it. So to pull back to last week's topic, infinitely replayable, I don't think Escape is. But it's still definitely worth your time. Go check it out. 
Yeah. Even though I don't think I'll ever play it again, it has given us some great memories, particularly two player with my wife. Really enjoy Escape Curse of the Temple, but I think I'm good. The next on my list is a game I don't, I'm not even sure you're aware of its existence, <laughs> but I got burnt out on it again. It's a game that I played with my English group, and it is an apples to apples killer. Okay. It is apples to apples done right, except for Dixit, which is the king Dixit of it. Dixit is really the king. Okay. And it is called Snake Oil. Oh, I've heard of this one. Okay, yeah. so basically you have like all, you have a handful of cards that rep- that have nouns written on them. Right. And so then you you pull out a roll. So like you pull out a card that says Hitchhiker, and you lay it on the table. Right. And then it's one person's job to kind of be the judge, just like apples to apples. And everybody picks two cards out of their hand and tries to sell something to the uh, Hitchhiker, like an <laughs> apple generator or okay. a... A magic, uh, or, or a ma- uh, um, magic and thumb, or something like that, mm-hmm. and so they're all like nouns that you can also use as adjectives, mm-hmm. and so you can kind of make these different devices, and then you have to go. Unlike apples to apples, you know who everybody's thing is because right. they they lay it down face up and, and they, they try to pitch. sell you on it, and they right. try to make a pitch. And right. this game with the right crowd is one of the most fun party games yeah. I have ever played, and. With people learning English, of course, it was incredible because <laughs> I, I think games like Apples to Apples are almost foolish to play. I mean, right. some, I, I would watch teachers play that. It's like they're putting down a card, they're flipping it. Uh-huh. It's it's there's no there's no discussion going right. on. So now this is the teacher and me coming through. Like right. Snake Oil brings out a lot of really interesting discussion. Yeah, and um, that's fun whether you're learning English or not. It's right. it's fun just uh, just around the table, and it it continued to be fun and. Continued to be fun, and now it's done. Now I'm kind of <laughs> done with it. But I still would highly recommend Snake Oil. If you're looking for a game, if you kind of like that party, like apples to apples feel, but you're burnt out on apples to apples, Snake Oil and Dixit are good next steps. There you, you go. So, there you go. Yep. Well, hey, the next one on my list is Deep Sea Adventure, the game that fits ah. in a credit card-sized box. So we've played this one over 30 times, so we've gotten our mileage out of it. This is still my ideal gateway game. It's got super simple rules. It's a fun push-your-luck mechanic. And I've brought this one out for many, many game nights. I've taught many people. For many people, this has been the first game they've ever played after, yeah. you know, uh, guess who in their in their childhood. Mm-hmm. So I've done my time with this game. And I've got a lot of fun memories. But at 36 plays, I think I'm pretty much done 36. with it. 36, wow. And lately, I've been using Skull sushi go party and even a fake artist goes to new york which is another game in the same series by oink games mm-hmm. i've been using those for kind of more my very basic intro fillers so deep sea adventure i love it i still love it but i've played it a lot time to make like frozen and let it go <laughs> so um yeah the next one on my list may surprise you it is a deck builder. You take a guess? Hmm. I would say paperback, but you don't think that one's great. It's a small box deck builder. Star Realms. Yes. I knew it. This one I will blame partially on the app. Man, you can't play games on I the know, app. I know, I know. Even up all your even up all your juice. Even before that, though, my son and I had played so much of this, and there were a couple of the kids in, uh, in the high school that I was... Uh, um, Directing at the time, we played a lot of this, and it's just a game. It's a really interesting and fast game. It's very swingy, yeah. Uh, and sometimes by about the third turn, 
I do think that the the winner is a foregone conclusion. Yeah. That's not always. I've seen and I've had come back to this game. I've literally come back from only having one authority point left and my right. engine finally kicked in and I was able to protect myself, regain authority and take right. it back. So you have some of those epic moments with this game, but you don't always. But it's fine because the game goes so quickly. You just yeah. deal them out and go again. Deal them out and go again. But I have played this so much that I, I don't think any variant, I don't think any further variation of this is going to do it for me. And I'm ready to move on from sort of the very basic kind of Ascension and Star Realms kind of five-card random market sort of okay. thing. Um, it's, got, it's got to have more to it now. I think deck builders are getting more and more sophisticated, and I've yeah. had a taste of some of those. So, yeah, um, yeah it's still a great game, but I'm, I'm kind of done with it. Cool. Well, my next game, I still have a good chance of playing, but I would also definitely describe it as played out. I checked. The last time we played it was November, so coming up on six months now. So in my book, that's that's pretty played out, especially mm. one that we had played as often as we had previously. This is Sheriff of Nottingham, which I quite enjoy. No, no, wait a minute. Let me make sure. You're doing this from the list from the ones you're least likely to play. So the you most likely. So you are more likely to play I am to more play likely Sheriff. to play gotcha. this than I am Smash Up or Escape or Deep Sea. Yeah. Yeah. So we're getting more and more likely here. But I would still definitely describe it as being burnt out. And actually my group got tired of this game right after I bought the expansion. Go figure. Mm-hmm. I do think if we put in some of that stuff it might freshen it up for us, but I think everyone just kind of got tired of that lying honest try to figure out what the other players doing here and what's actually taken the wind out of sheriff sales has been skull because Uh, it's such a lightweight bluffing game that you can play in half the time half the mechanics less than half the mechanics and so we've played that one a lot and the sheriff has kind of suffered i don't want to say they fired each other because eh, sheriff has a lot more to it you know obviously the set collection and everything but it is what it is. I would like to try it again with the expansion. I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Well, I'm expecting you to be a little bit surprised okay. by this next one. I'm still um, waiting for Dixit Man. Yeah, that's on my honorable, honorable mention. Okay, okay. I figured. I, I feel like that's probably on a lot of people's overplayed list right now. Not mine. Really? <laughs> really? Yeah. Maybe I'm spoiling my last one. but Dixit is an incredible game. It probably deserves to be on this list because... If, if I think about the most incredible game that I'm burnt out on, it, I guess logically it's probably Dixit. Mm-hmm. But I, um, I didn't feel like it was that one was completely fair because I don't really have an affinity toward party games to begin with. Yeah, And so it's always a stretch for yeah. me to play them, even a game as brilliant as Dixit. It's this next one that um, I expect you to be a little bit surprised when I okay. say Splendor. Okay. Now, I'm not surprised, just disappointed. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> not at all. I... I go ahead. I just don't care for this game. So yeah, I, and I, I really like this game. And I, I again, when I just reordered it quickly right now, it is on this list the one that I most likely to play again because I feel like it's a good first intro hmm. into sort of a thinky game hmm. for for a lot of people. It's like if they can wrap their head around Splendor, then then they feel successful, and you're able to get them to play right. I don't know, like a Lords of Waterdeep, and then you're able to get them to play a Russian rail. No, wait, that's too big of a jump. But <laughs> you but, have you have zero <laughs> designs on people. Uh, yes, I do. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, 
No, Splendor is a great game, and it's just very simple to play. I, I still like the fact, um, I know Century Spiced Road fired Splendor for a lot of people. Yeah. It, it didn't for me, because I just like the simplicity of choosing the chips. You don't have to go through this extra sort of conversion step uh, right. to, to your goal that um, is interesting in Century Spiced Road, but I feel like Splendor has enough to keep mm-hmm. it interesting. It's It's simple. Uh, it's a great gateway game, but in the end, I do have to admit, I play it more as a gateway game right. than I do as a, hey, I'm really thrilled with this game. I really like right. this game, and right. uh, it's kind of where it's landed for me. Yeah. So I, well, Maybe you should try uh, Mark andres latest game, Majesty for the Realm. Oh, yeah. That one looks yeah. really interesting, actually. I looked at it and was super interested in it, even after it said from the creator of Splendor, so that should tell you something. Wow. Because I didn't care for Splendor. I also kind of resent the remark that gateway games have to be uninteresting, but we don't have time to get into that discussion. And I would need to eat crow because my fifth game, and this is true, is Century Spice Road. (laughs) So I have to eat my own dog food here and admit that a gateway game that I was quite infatuated with, (laughs) I'm kind of sick of. This is not planned, folks. (laughs) Wow. Century Spice and Splendor, neck to neck. To be fair, I do think that Century Spice Road absolutely demolishes Splendor. I think it's way more interesting. I would much rather play it than Splendor. And of all the games on the list, I've played this one the least. I've played it 17 times. So Mm. a decent amount, but by no means, you know, played to death or anything. So I feel like I got tired of it pretty quickly. But, you know, this is also a very simple game. And for me, as a gamer... So it's interesting as a board game host because I introduce, I think here's the problem with gateway games. It's not that Sentry is uninteresting. I find what I do in Sentry very interesting. But it's that as a host, I'm frequently introducing the game to new players. So I've played the game 15 times where everyone else has played it twice. Okay? Mm -hmm. So I feel like for me, after playing it 15, 16, 17 times, I feel like I have explored the depths in this game. And you know what? They're good. They're fun. They're pleasing. There's some nice engine building there. But... I feel like I've kind of gotten everything out of this game that I can get out of it. So I'm just kind of tired of introducing it yet again to another new gamer. To them, it will be really great. I still have confidence in that. Because they're newer players? Yeah, because they're newer players. So you're saying that that the gateway game is inherently less interesting? I'm not saying it's less interesting. (laughs) I'm (laughs) saying that sometimes, because I Uh, as the host play so much more than the other players... I can get to I can get further into the strategy quicker. Right. Because I'm playing every week for six weeks, whereas everyone else is playing maybe once or twice in those six weeks. Well, this would be a great segue into our next review, except that we did promise to uh, give a couple of honorable mentions. Here. Okay. We'll do them real quick. I didn't put Dixit on the list just because one, you were aware of it and I yeah. think that would be interesting. <laughs> but two, again, for the same reasons I just said, I, I think a lot of people are burnt out on this, but I don't know. To me, it wouldn't have been a very surprising pick. And then my other one was Carcassonne. Yeah. I just, you know, I think Carcassonne's on my people, list too. I've played it almost 40 times and I'm wow. done. Yeah, yeah, I'm quite done. Uh, Carcassonne yeah. maybe is on, not, didn't make my list because I wouldn't call it a favorite. I think it's a good game, but mm-hmm, eh. the other one that didn't make my list was Seven Wonders. Uh, I'm not which, burned out on that yet. Uh, and I played it a lot, and I'm yeah. still not burnt out on it. I'm a little burnt out on it. Um, and then the last one on my list was Tokaido, which I'm really? starting to... I could be burnt out on. I haven't played that one in a while, so I no, need to revisit wait, it. No, but the list was great games that were burnt out. Oh, stop it. Tokaido okay, is a great game, and sorry. you know it. 
just a Bowser hate over there. <laughs> I, what do you mean? I just said I love Seven Wonders. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> That's true. But but you're Takanoko. Uh, yeah, uh, we'll he, both grunt. He's, that he's one. had the hits and misses. <laughs> he's had the hits and misses like any designer. So, but but yeah. when, you, when you speak of a, a gateway game that is accessible, I mean a game that is accessible both to new players, and I wouldn't call this a gateway game. I think it's a great segue into a review of Concordia. Yeah, you know the first exposure I had to Concordia was through a review that shut up and sit down on it. The mm-hmm. Sit down did on it, and um, I was kind of shocked at the level at which. Quinn's was kind of just, uh, you know, in some kind of altered state because right. of, uh, because of right. this game. And, but it wasn't just him. As right. I talked to more and more people who played uh, Concordia, it became clear to me that there was something unique and different going yeah. on with this game. But now, you didn't fall for it as hard as he did. Well, Or would you characterize it that way? No. I Well, no, I wouldn't say I fell for it as hard as he did, but I, but I would still call Concordia. It's like a... It's a watershed moment in, in, in board gaming. That, really? That's, that's how... I think Concordia is a very, very important board game. Here's, here's the first sentence I wrote down in my notes. Concordia is my platonic ideal of a Euro game. It is the perfect, the quintessential Euro game. Yes. That is my statement. It's elegant. It's breezy. There's a good deal of interaction, which you guys mm-hmm. know I care about. There's tactical decisions, and you can get it off the table in under two hours, which is really important. So we normally divide our reviews into magic and tragic. So, but I, I don't care about that on, on this review. I really don't. <laughs> I've got I magic mean, and tragic. You for do. It. If, yeah. Okay. If you have it organized that way, <laughs> I would say so. So I'll bring it out as a magic. Why is Concordia so brilliant? And this is this is the core of it to me. It is the most elegant and deep. It combines simplicity with depth. Yes. And elegant design. In a way that I can't say I've seen a board game do yet. And you know what? When you contrast this with the flavor of the month, everything plus the kitchen sink Euro games that are coming Mm -hmm. out these days, Mm -hmm. it really stands apart. This reminds me more of something like Puerto Rico where it's like, okay, you know what? It doesn't look amazing, but people play it because it's good. Gosh dang it. I mean, this is really, Mm -hmm. this really feels like it could have come out in 2001. And I say that in a good way. Yeah. In that... It really does not matter what this game looked like. The gameplay is just so good. It reminds me of when people had to play Tammany Hall on just white printer paper. Right. And they still played it because it was just (laughs) such a darn good game. You know, Concordia has that same vibe to it. It, I could play this game with paper clips and be happy. I mean. Now, I suppose some some, um, uh, description of Concordia is is in order here. So if you've never played Concordia, uh, in Concordia, you're kind of like... uh, I, I trading in the Mediterranean. <laughs> yeah, you're trading in the Mediterranean. There you are. You're sort of in ancient Rome. And you have a, a set of cards that you are given that play very similarly to a game that you might have played before, uh, Mission Red Planet. Or Citadels, even. Or Citadels, yeah. kind of. Well, yeah. It doesn't have the number resolution. But. Right. But you play down a card, and your opponent does, and that card does a thing. And it just does that one thing. Right. And then your opponent plays one, and you go around the table, and you play down another card. And that card stays down, by the way. It's yeah. used. And you do this until you need your need for the cards that are down on the table is greater than the need for the cards in your hand. Yeah. And then when that's done, you kind of you, you play this uh, card. Oh, I forget the name of it now. I can't Tribune. believe it. So, yeah, the, tri- the Tribune. And that pulls all of the cards back up into your hand. 
and now you can you know continue to reuse them. But that said, it's not a card-driven game. That's just kind of an interesting mechanic yeah. that's sort of at the core of it. Yeah. What you're really doing is sort of expanding territory in um, in in Italy primarily, Europe, right? Yeah. Europe, 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 yeah. There's all sorts of uh, there's all sorts of maps, maps and boards that you can um, that, that you can utilize. And the different regions produce different kinds of goods, and you can um, build uh, settlements in those regions. And then um, you, there are different production spots that will let those regions produce. And if they produce, you get an extra bonus for what uh, for triggering the production, and then more bonuses for this for the uh, places that you're present in there. Um, so there's there's you have to sort of manage expansion area control on the map. By the way, those cards that I mentioned, there's a line of them across the top of the board. And one of your roles as senator lets you buy more of those cards, put them right in your hand, and now you have more things to do. And at the bottom of each of those cards is a category. And, well, it's a Roman god, but it stands for a a category. A scoring category. A scoring category, Mm -hmm. like for the person who has uh, the most settlements on the board or or settlements in the most regions on the board or, or, or these different kinds of categories. And that is a really really interesting because the car that you buy you have to think about okay i'm buying it for the thing that it can do but also the points it can but score. also the points that it can mm-hmm. generate at the end of the game see this is my number one magic is that card row because you need to time your purchases to the other players you need to buy just the cards you need you need to balance again the action on the card and also the way it will score at the end of the mm-hmm. game i love in fact i did this in my last game i finished second so i didn't quite win but I actually bought cards with no regard to what their action did, and I scored 80 points from being in different regions and wow. 65 points from having settlements. And I didn't have the most settlements on the board. I just had a ton of Jupiter cards. So I had a wow. fat old deck that I wasn't even using half of, and all these other people are plowing out tons of settlements on the board but didn't have the cards to make them worth mm-hmm. much. So I love that tension of between the action and the scoring, and you can go either way, really, and you just kind of have to find this tight balance to maximize things. And there is resource conversion in this game. Mm-hmm. You know, it does look like a Euro game in that respect, but they did it in a way that's not overly heavy. I don't yeah. feel like there is too much. Sometimes in some games, there is so much distance between between the action you're doing now and the goal, and it's mm-hmm. three or four or five mechanics removed, you know, right. from its conversion to points eventually. Yeah. This game, it's a little bit more obvious. And, but it's not so obvious that I, in your first game of Concordia, I love how they, I love how they've even arranged it. So in the first, normally when you play Concordia, there's only one scoring round at the end, at the very end. But in your first game of Concordia, they recommend, um, I think after everybody has gone through two turns or something like that, after everyone has played their Tribune. I think. Oh, the Tribune. Okay. So once you've you, picked up all your cards, you do like a sample scoring round, and you'll never do this again, most most likely. Right. But that's that moment where you score and you go. Ah, now I get it. And then you move on. Right. So it's not so... I See, I do think that sometimes a gateway game must be simplistic. And yeah. I felt like they avoided that trap here. Yeah. They made it simple, but it still has just enough elegance, just enough depth, mm-hmm. that it's a puzzle to wrap your head around. Yeah. See, this is why I hate the term gateway, because this is not a gateway game. I mean, it takes a while to play. It's mm-hmm. definitely not a filler game, which is what a lot of people think of when you say gateway. And right. it's not simplistic. It's elegant. I was just yes. reading, Dan Thoreau was saying, there's a difference between simple and yes. elegant. And Concordia is elegant. What you're doing is very crunchy. The decisions are crunchy. But that is built into the game by the other player's actions. And 
by your own need to manage your cards. Mm-hmm. Really, that play one card, do one thing is so simple that that really lets the interesting strategies come out. And I love this game for that because it's easy to explain. I mean, right. the last time I played this game, we had two new players and we didn't even stop for a scoring round. Yeah, yeah. Because I asked them, I said, you got it? Yeah, we got it. Yep. They didn't win, but they got it. Right. And next time they play, they're going to they're gonna do some stuff differently. They, they got the game within one play of it, which is pretty pretty rare you know see and unlike splendor where it's take one action mm-hmm. but then your action okay you buy that thing that was on the board and now the board changes by the time it gets back mm-hmm. around to you and so you sort of like um i, I guess i'm saying that turn to turn splendor is not as connected mm-hmm. as concordia is because concordia you took that one action right but it's part of a plan right and maybe your opponent will notice it right. maybe they won't yeah. And I found myself, do you remember that day at, at your house that I was playing this game? I stood yeah. up the entire time. Yeah. I was literally rocking yeah. back and forth like I had some kind of nervous issue or something. Yeah. I, I, maybe I do. But <laughs> the it, it was just that tense, that exciting for, for a game where you just play one card and do the thing that yeah. it says. And you can't let yourself obsess over, you can't get bogged down in AP in this game. This game discourages yeah. that. It very much encourages, I'm going to play something. I'm going to do that with an idea to our plan. You're right. You build up maybe three or four turns long plans that you then execute. Right. So you know what you're doing. You know, you're thinking about what you're doing, but you figure it out like three turns ahead. So it gets to your turn. You just go, boom, I'm good. And I'm it, one can step be closer. Thwarted. it can be thwarted, but, mm-hmm. but there are things for you to do when they're thwarted. I mean, there mm-hmm. is, I'm saying that because there is some tactical response. In oh, this there's game. a lot of tactics. It's not game. all just. Uh, executing right. on a longer term A lot strategy. of it comes from those cards. There's also the Prefect action, yeah. which manages the regions. We haven't even touched on that, but I have that down as a magic because I love mm. manipulating that action. Okay, so we've said a lot. We've said a lot of good stuff here. And to be clear, we categorically recommend Concordia. Oh, I, Concordia is an instant recommendation. But I've got one thing here, and it's the scoring. Because I did tell you about the the mm. people who played it anew and they got the scoring. They right. did finish near the bottom, but they got it. But let's just say this. The scoring is counterintuitive to a first-time player. It is. And I love it. I love, I love how the scoring works. But here's why it's difficult. It's hard to gauge how everyone else is doing. Yes. And so that makes it really hard for a new player to know, am I doing the correct things or not? Because there's it's hard to pick up on the indicators of progress, you know? Even someone building a ton of settlements is not necessarily an indicator of how well they're going to do. Really, how well people are going to do is how many cards they've bought and which cards they've bought. And you kind of need to keep an eye on, not card counting, but you need to know, okay, they've stocked up on Saturn cards. So mm-hmm. if I need a Saturn card from here, they're the ones I'm competing with. So I need to look right. at their board, see when they're going to be able to buy that card, see how long I have. You have to do some gauging stuff kind of on the fly which I really like as an experienced player, but it does make this game a little bit less accessible. I'm not even asking for them to have come up with a different solution for this. Mm -hmm. But just know that your first game, you might not get all of this. My, boy, even the negative that I have, that that was one that I had, was Mm -hmm. the idea that you you have no idea how the other players are doing. And that's a plus in some ways. It is a plus. It's kind of cool because... You can kind of take satisfaction from your own stuff, kind of. Right. But it is sort of weird that everybody is at zero at the end of the game. Yeah. And then you calculate your points. Way up. 
And it's just sort of like, whoa, you know, yeah. how, how did that happen? Had I known that he was going for, right. you're right. You have to yeah. kind of like gauge that as you go along. That actually would be my only real negative. The only thing that I would say about Concordia is, and I wouldn't say this about, it's not a negative about the game, but I'll say this. Concordia ends up firing a lot of games, I hear, mm-hmm. for, for, for other people. It won't fire my heavier Euros. Mm-hmm. Concordia is still, at its core, a lighter Euro game. Yes. And if you're looking for it to be deep and heavy, it's, it, it's, it's not for you. Mm-hmm. But it is really elegant. And it's just that is a personal preference thing okay i i guess for me it's not a it's not a tragic about the game it's a personal preference thing yeah i kind of get a little bit bugged on the one hand when i hear people say well it fires a game like orleon or it fires marco polo or it 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 fires mission red planet and by the way all of those things are questions i'm considering right like will i strictly play concordia over mission red planet every time Will I strictly play it over or over Marco Polo every time? I don't know. I'm still figuring that out. I mean, for me, I'll tell you frankly, not to spoil any future reviews we have in the hopper, but for me, for all three of those games, it's absolutely yes. Wow. I'm not really a Euro gamer. I can think of three very traditional bread and butter Euro games that I really own and enjoy. That's Lancaster, Russian Railroads, and Concordia. If we're talking just like typical Euros, you know, mm-hmm. We won't have the debate about what constitutes a euro. It doesn't fire the other two, but it's definitely the one I'm going to get to the table the most. It's definitely the most accessible. The depth is there because of the other players around the table. You right. care about what people are doing. I mean, for me, this is the perfect amount. The turns go quick. There's not this oh, it's weird. Wonderful. There's not this weird. Well, I start. It's not weird, but it, it, it avoids that standard. Okay, well, you're the starting player. We go around till everybody passes, and then it passes to the right. next person. And then we go around till. This is just like no. You just play. You just play till the game is over. The only thing that passes is like that uh, Perfectus yeah, Magnus, Magnus uh, token, token yeah. that just gives a, a different player the advantage now. Right. Um, but um, as far as the extra good that they get on yeah. trading. But I think maybe Concordia's greatest strength isn't what you just said. Mm-hmm. I'm not a Euro gamer, uh-huh. and I love Concordia. Oh, yeah. And so I think if you do want to introduce people into this hobby and introduce them into an incredible game, mm-hmm. not a gateway game, but a game that is still accessible and does just not just not just take a peek down the rabbit hole, but just grab you by the neck and throw you down the rabbit hole mm-hmm. of how interesting the board gaming hobby can be. I think Concordia is that game. You know, I think it might be time soon to redo our top ten lists. Because yeah. I think Con- I think I would actually put Concordia at number three, which would make it my favorite Euro game. That's yeah. how much I like this game. Well, I put it at two and a half. <laughs> Just because, no, I don't know. I, yeah, I know. Our top ten lists, I think anybody top, anybody's oh, top so ten much. list. Yeah, <laughs> it changes. Yeah, I, I'm always doing top lists in my mind for music, for games, and... It is very much at the, at the mercy of my whims. But Concordia. Excellent it, game. Play it. It's amazing. Oh, yeah. So Get on board. Heartily recommends Concordia. Hardly? Heartily. Oh, okay. Heartily. Good. That was a get on board attempted humor, which <laughs> <laughs> most, of our, most of our humor is attempted. Yes. Well, that wraps up pretty our much episode. It. Yeah. And we crammed this all into an hour. 
Wow. So we're pretty talented. We are an efficient podcast. You you get more words per hour. Yes. So look us up on the web at getonboard.games where you can find our podcasts and our written reviews. Uh, look up our Board Game Guild on Board Game Geek. I think that covers it. Thank you so much for listening. Bye. Talk to you after Geekway.